Welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Tej Talks episode. I've pretty much lost my voice, so I tried not to talk too much in this one. Uh, it's been a very tiring, tiring few days moving into my new place, uh, and uh, the HMO day with James has been very, very busy. So, uh, today's episode is with Craig, property apprentice, big up the grafters. You might recognize him from Facebook, uh, from Instagram. Very, very hard worker, and it's really built his portfolio over the past X many years. Um, today we talk about student HMOs, his six plus reasons and why he does student HMOs, why they're so awesome, uh, and what it means to be a grafter and how you can apply this to your business. So if you haven't left a review for Tej Talks, you absolutely can on the iTunes um, app or on the podcast player app or on the Facebook page. Follow me on Instagram, Tej.talks. Property Apprentice, a.k.a. Craig Sullivan. Welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Thank you, Tej. Thanks for having me. It's been a long time coming. I'm glad it, to be here. It has. Now, you were at, you were at mine and James's uh, HMO day on the weekend, and on your slides, you had, you were, you know, you've been on various sort of um, shows and things like that, and you had Tej Talks on there. And I was like, hold on a minute. You haven't been on yet, but I think you were positively affirming the future, right? <laughs> well, well, yeah, exactly that. Because, because basically, when we when we was in talks about the um, HMO experience day, you said, "Look, we've got to have you on the podcast." And I told you, as soon as I've got my life back, Ted, as soon as I've done all of these developments, I'm yours. So, <laughs> true to my word, here I am. <laughs> I love it. Um, so, property apprentice. Let's let's start with that. Why? Because you're not, you know, arguably you're not an apprentice. You you have quite a sizable portfolio, and you manage so many HMO rooms. Um, what does the name mean? So property apprentices. So when I opened up Insta, I, I thought to myself, oh, what's a good tagline? What do I want to focus this page about? So I thought, do you know what? I'm going to dedicate it to my property journey. Um, and I thought, well, to give people an idea of what I'm about, I think I'll just call it property apprentice because to be fair, I'm constantly learning there's always new legislation, there's always new laws, there's taxation, there's yeah, all, all kinds of new things thrown at you constantly as a landlord and a property developer. So I thought, you know what, let's keep it um, simple and be called Property Apprentice. And that, that, that basically is because I keep on learning. I love it. And Craig, what were you doing before you got into property? And then what was that moment or that someone or something that got you into property? Sure. So I was the, the seed was planted by my father, who's a builder by trade. So um, he obviously bought houses, a home, and then he would develop it. It was the traditional um, traditional model. So um, so yeah, I basically got the got the idea from him, watching him accumulate wealth, and then we move on to the next house, and then he'd do that up. And then as I was growing up, he kind of brought me on to do the little jobs here and there. So little bits of painting, helping move like large bits of materials like plasterboard and stuff like that. And I'd go to B&Q and that quickly snowballed into um, basically working for him on weekends. And um, yeah, 
becoming his right hand man when it comes to developments that he worked on, not just for his his own stuff, but also for customers' work. So, um, so yeah, I, I learned everything from the, the roofing to basic plumbing, basic electrics, how central heating works, um, and and all the above. So it's really really useful now. Now I reflect on it um, from where I am now and what I use it for now. Um, but yeah, so where I was before I, I was into property, I actually worked in uh, London, in West London, in Hammersmith, working for the Walt Disney Company. Uh, that's where I started my kind of corporate career, um, coming from university, um, getting a placement. Um, and then from that, I basically, I used to work for the sales distribution team. So we used to sell the Disney Channel across Europe, Middle East and Africa. And I used to be the team coordinator within that team. And it was a great job. It was a fantastic company to work for. Um, so many perks. Uh, like Everyone heard of like Walt Disney. Um, so, yeah, it, it was it was a it was a brilliant, brilliant time. Um, living in London was great. I was out every night. Really, really enjoying, enjoying it. Enjoy enjoying life at that, um, back then. Um, so, yeah, it was good. And then, yeah, so while I was. Um, transitioning from university to um, working professional I always I saw a gap in the market basically um, in Medway for low-end accommodation um, sorry I saw a gap in the market where there was low-end accommodation so there was a gap for high-end accommodation so uh, that always stuck with me so while I was while I was moving through the professional route I was saving money and then um and then, yes, yeah, so the opportunity came up um, by auction to buy um, buy a property um, on my own, and that's 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 what I did. I, I went I went there, I viewed it, I then phoned my dad. Um, he was in Ireland at the time, and I was like, "Yeah, Dad, I've got this got this house. I've got an eye on. Um, can you can you help me with it, basically?" And he he didn't really believe me at first. He was like, "Oh yeah, whatever." Um, yeah, yeah, like brushing it off because this, yeah, he had his own stuff to deal with. Um, and then, um, yeah, lo and behold, I, I went and bought it and turned it into my very first student HMO. Wow. So I think you did a few things there that most people don't do on their first deal, which is one, buy at auction because it is, well, it can be a scary place to buy. And I think there's a lot of properties in auction for a reason. And then two, you turned it into a HMO, which again is something that, people generally don't do on their first house you know did you get any apart from the, the refurbs with your dad did you get any formal education or anything like that before doing this no so the only the only bit of education that i got from before doing it or or expertise because it was actually on homes under the hammer so i actually had lucy alexander who was on homes at the hammer at the time and she was saying why are you going the hmo route um, do you think you can honestly fill this with four students? And she started to, and, if, and you can watch the episode as well to see it, but she started breaking down the sums of a, a normal buy to let. And, and, she, and by the end of it, she was saying that, oh, I'd get a yield of like 6%, which in my head, I was thinking that's, that's so crap. Like I can get so much more than that if I go for the student let. But I, but I didn't want to like mug her off on her own show. <laughs> so I was just like, oh yeah, great one, Lucy. Yeah, looks great. I'll, I'll give it some thought. But honestly, I was just like, no, I know exactly what I'm doing. And the reason why I was so confident is, was because before this, um, I actually went, uh, I actually JV'd with my dad on my, on a, on like a first venture. Um, which he bought, but I, I basically put some money in, but he owned it solely, so to speak. I, I put the deposit in. So 
I, and I got that all up and running before I moved to, to London. So I was just replicating that model. Um, so yeah, to, to, to answer your question, there was no real got um, like uh, training or anything like that. It was, I, I'd done a, a quick, quick look on YouTube about tenancy law. Um, I've, I spoke to a few of a my great place to get your legals from. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I also spoke with some letting agents who, who my dad knew and um, the building side, obviously I, I knew anyway from my dad, but yeah, that, that little gap, that landlord gap, so to speak, I, I literally spoke to a few agents um, and, um, and, and did some research online and uh, yeah, that was it. And I got, I got it signed up, got, got the money in. Um, and that's what, re- and it worked. And, and that's, that's what really spurred me on for this one. Wow. And, you know, I, I guess to be a presenter on Homes Under the Hammer, you have to be a property expert, right? So we, we should listen to them. <laughs> um, they've all got obviously very um, property based backgrounds, I'm, I'm sure. Um, and that's pretty cool. You were, on, you were on TV with your sort of first like solo deal. That's like that everything happening at once. That's pretty awesome. And I mean, do you think having that construction refer building kind of experience and background puts you miles ahead of other investors i think it would personally for me if i had it absolutely because when it comes to any business venture or or deal it's all about the numbers so when when you categorize it like the 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 bulk of a deal it's you buy at the right price that's absolutely key because that's where you make your money what else do you make your money on, on the refurb or adding value cost effectively? That's where you add the value. So if I'm buying an auction, t- usually, as I said, not all the time, but at this point, houses will go in, I don't know, say 10, 15, even 20% below market value because they're in auction. And like you said, it can be daunting. A lot of people don't like to buy auctions because there's this stigma attached to them that, oh, something must be wrong with it. To be fair, with this one, it was just seriously dated that there was a lady, I think, that owned it um, and she went into care um, and then it got passed over to the children and the children just had to sell it to, to cover the costs for the care. Um, it, it happens. And yeah, I, I was there to, to buy it. So. So, yeah. So, um, yeah, that, I, I guess, yeah, that, that's that's partly why I got it at a really good price. And then, yeah, it, it needed everything. So again, anyone who doesn't have that experience of, of back to brick refurbs or rewiring and, and stuff like that, the, the experience that I had, especially with my dad and the confidence that I had with my dad there, that put me at definitely an advantage, I think, over over many people who viewed it. Because when I viewed it, there was, I know there's, there's about 20 to, to 30 people viewing it. it. And I thought, oh my God, I'm not going to get this. But yeah, I just had a really good day at the auction. And I think there's a few points there, which is, you know, with that experience, which, um, you know, not everyone can necessarily have it or wants it physically, but there is a wealth of knowledge on the internet and in books about construction and refurbs. And you can speak to people and you, you can learn so much. And personally, you know, I'm nowhere near your level, but from what I've learned and I'm learning, it helps so much because in your case, for example, a builder couldn't come in and say oh we got to do this got to do that it's going to cost you 10 grand because you know piss off it's going to cost five i know exactly what we have to do so they can't pull the wool over your eyes because you know how to do it yourself and you know what even if you didn't you can call your dad so i think people don't realize how important understanding refurbs are to the success of a deal and then you had a good day at auction yeah it, you know you have to go to 
X many auctions to win a smaller percentage of them. You know, it's one of those things that mm. it just takes time and takes effort. So, you know, you, so you live in Kent, is that right? That's right. Yeah. I, I live in the Medway towns in so North Kent. A lot of people who live, you know, <clears throat> I'll call it London or around London mm. tend to sort of go upwards, tend to go North to get better yields, better returns, you know, less money left in, et cetera, et cetera. What kept you close to home? Just because I had really good knowledge of the market. So, and, and that was one aspect of it. So when I was at uni, like I said, when I, when, when I first, the first day I rocked up to uni, um, we had no halls. So you see these purpose-built halls of residence that are being built up everywhere. That, that was none of that here with Medway, or, or at least it wasn't finished. So by default, I had to go into um, like a private landlord's, uh, like a house share. And it was awful, Tej. Um, as I said on the day, it was absolutely awful to the point where my mum actually cried when, when she checked me in. And uh, yeah, it, it, and just to tell you, describe what it was like. So you, you'd walk in, you you'd walk into the lounge and it was something like an old people's home. It was like there were sofas there, which should be in a charity shop. In fact, the whole house looked like it just come from a, a charity shop. It was absolutely awful compared to the standard of HMOs we see today. It was like horrendous. So that's when I kind of saw a gap in the market. It wasn't just my house. It was also my, my friend's house. So obviously, I'd, I'd go to, from house to house. We'd have house parties, gatherings, et cetera. And it was the same story. Every single house I went to was, was really poor. Um, and that's when I thought, well, hold on a minute. I think I've always wanted to get into property. And I think this is the route. Um, so, so, yeah, I started putting pen to paper, started working out what I was paying, what the landlord was making, how much the house was worth, and then looking at his his return. Obviously, I didn't know exactly, but I was I was getting a rough figure. Then I, I ran that past my dad. My dad was like, that is pretty good. If we can get that off the ground, then, then yeah, it's, it's a good investment. So that's how he was tempted into it um, for the first one at the, at the, um, at the auction. Um, and then it, and then it just grew from there really. So, so yeah, I stayed local for one. I knew the market. Um, and number two, I also found that a problem with the landlord side of things. So as you know, I also run my own agency and that, that actually started because I was advertising to tenants and a landlord found the ad and she approached me and said, look, I've got this professional HMO. It's not going so well. I've got tenants. They, they're always bickering. They're always arguing. And I'm, I'm just sick of it. I've been to all the high street agents. They um, just don't have the resource to do it. And they offer a crap service. So I'm, you're literally like my last chance saloon. Can you help me? Um, so I was like, whoa, I didn't expect that at all. That was a complete curveball. Because like I said, I was advertising to tenants for my, my property. So, um, so anyway, I met with her. Um, I told her exactly the situation. I said, I look, I'm an amateur landlord. This is how I manage my um, property. I'm looking to grow into this field. Um, if you're happy with that, I'm happy to take it on. And she, there and then she gave me the keys and away we went. And literally within three, yeah, it was in, within three days, I had the whole house let out to students for the following September. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of what's, what, what um drew me to that area because i knew i knew the competition i knew where all the right work roads were i knew where the uni was and yeah i, I just built on that i was built on, on why would i go up north why would i go um anywhere else when i i know the market i know the returns i i know where where to get everything i, I also built up contacts as well like tradesmen 
um, like plumbers. I, I always keep it local just because you know how it is. Time is of the essence. Whenever something goes wrong, time is what makes it done well because if it's if it takes two weeks to unblock a, a sink or something like that the tenants are going to go well that was crap or if it takes like two hours because your plumber li lives local fantastic um and that's what differentiates you from a good landlord or a bad landlord um to a great landlord yeah i agree and i think especially with hmos where it is more management intensive i think it's if i was going to do hmos personally i'd you know even though i wouldn't necessarily manage it myself I think for my sanity, I'd probably want it to be closer um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Than, than be further away. So we're definitely going to talk about your letting agency shortly. So, you know, okay, let, let's talk about I mean, what what has been the best deal you've done so far. Talk me through the numbers. Wow. Um, I'd say the best deal, it all depends on, on, on what you focus on because some deals are just easy money. And, and like I said, so, for example, I've just purchased um, a JV'd on a, a four-bedroom flat in Rochester, um, which, yeah, I got a really good price due to basically due to Brexit um, and, the, and the scarcity around that. And then that kind of moved into the COVID era, which then allowed me to negotiate even further. And, um, and it was minimal work. It was literally a brand-new four-bedroom flat um all done up brand spanking everything in there is brand new carpets everything all it needed was a little bit of change of color because it was all magnolia um and stuff like that yeah exactly we hate magnolia so so what i did was i, I whitewashed it I, I gave it a really good it, it was a, a simple but effective um paint tone and again everything you, you'll see this on my instagram and um, yeah, it, it turned out to be an absolutely fantastic return, like generating £2,000 a month, like no one suites. It's just got a, a second bathroom, but it's the location of this which really drew me in because it's in Rochester Medway, which is a really sought after area. Um, and it's got the high street, which is buzzing. Um, and it's also got the um, university, local university, a smaller university to, to where I usually focus to, but it's a university nonetheless. Um, and I actually marketed it to students. And because that um, uni specializes in fashion, I thought I'd just do some kind of fashion um, signature prints and stuff like that in the in the, in the house. And it worked absolutely fantastically. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm currently speaking with the JVs to see um, as and when they want to get this revalued. Because to be fair, I think now is a bad time for it just because of, the way things are spiking and, and all the rest with COVID, but I'd say we're, what within the next six to twelve months, hopefully we, we should be not. At, I don't think we would ever be out of it, but I think it would be a lot better. And that's when I think the economy will, yeah, get its confidence back and, and start creeping up again. And I think that's that's when we should remortgage. But like I said, I, I bought it for one one eight seven. It was originally up for two hundred, um, and now that I've done this work, I probably spent like I don't know ten in it. I'd, I'd say it's worth probably about 220 now, maybe even 230, including the tenancy um, and all the rest of it. And that was minimal work. Like there was no structural work needed. It was literally a paint job and furnish. So when I look at it like that, in terms of time, um, actual time put into it, it was a fantastic deal. But then you get, yeah, like my first one, for example, where I was down there every week. So every weekend I was taking holiday to do it. I was even taking sick days off work to do it. 
because it needed to be done. And yeah, we kept the costs like super low, like literally just material costs. Um, and the labor costs were, were absorbed by me doing the work as well as my dad. It was the time and it was the stress of it as well. Because like I said, if you're, if you're not working, then you're having a day off. But for me, I was just straight down there. I was, I was missing out on holidays. I, I weren't going out. Even the, the missus at the time, she was, she was giving me an earful saying, when am I going to see you? It's been like two months. And I'm just like, oh. So, so yeah, it, it, the numbers may be great at that point, but then the stress levels, the time, it, and it's all about the balancing act. So I, I probably lean to the the whole time now, now that I'm, now I'm a bit older um, and I'm at that stage of life where I want to be enjoying life. Um, I, I think those kind of deals I, I kind of lean to more than the, harder working ones even though i know i can do it and crack it out it's the, the stress and i've learned from that from experience that that yeah it's all good to be a grafter but you can only do it so much you know so uh and then, and then yeah yeah exactly. i know i know exactly how you feel man the stress is yeah it, it is something and i think you know when it's interesting though because you know that that deal you talked about the four bed flat that is so different to what i would say the majority of people um Mm. who listen to this podcast are doing i would say some people would say it's the kind of old school way of doing stuff or you, know, you could even say the easier way of doing stuff it certainly sounds easier which yeah. I'm, I'm all for um the, i think a key difference is you have a jv partner right on that correct and yes. they're in they're in bed with you right they, they own equity with you that's correct yes and i think the difference is i think when you give away equity you can kind of be a bit more flexible you know because i i take me as an example i get an investor after paying back in 12 or 24 months all their money there's none of this hey we're leaving in this much have some of the rent it's like boom loan me the money here's your return with capital whereas yours talk me through how you kind of structure yours because i think it could be really beneficial to the listeners of course so my jv so basically the reason why i thought up this was because i actually sourced the property um for for a client and, and it was it was my only deal i've ever sourced for a client and i'll never and i swore i'll never do it again the reason why Ted, was because that i put my heart and soul into that project as you would do because as you'd expect as i'm sourcing it for a client but um i created um the best four bedroom four bathroom property on the market um, every, like the, the girls that were in there, they, they took my hand off for it. And that, that, that broke all the ceiling rents. And I was like, damn, I could probably go to have got more for it. And I sold it to this client for five grand. And that is generating him probably 20 to 25 grand a year, like less expensive, say 20 grand a year. And it was like, I sold that short. And that that's forever. Like that was an absolute cash machine as well as it going up in value, et cetera, et cetera. And he, and he even refinanced it um what was it six months later and he got his money back out so he had a, he loves me and he wanted me to get him more of them and i was just like no 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 i've i've seen the numbers i earned you yeah i appreciate it but no I, there's got to be a better way so I, so I, for me to get be in this long term because i'm the one who's putting my heart and soul into it i'm the one who's managing it i'm carrying it um and looking out for it and designing it and basically creating it so I thought, right, how am I going to do this? So what I do now is I find these projects. Um, I then go on social media. I then put it out on social media. And um, all I need is the cash. So I will find it. I will sort, well, I, yeah, I'll find it. I will do the renovations. I will tenant it. I'll do absolutely everything 
um, and you can sit back um, and just put the money in and we're 50-50 on that asset. So I'm 50-50 on the mortgage, you're 50-50 on the mortgage. Um, you pay for the asset, like you put the deposit down. But the thing is, I will pay you back once that asset is up and running. Um, and yeah, I don't take a penny from the deal until you're paid off. Um, and that includes any refinances. So hopefully we refinance, say within within a year, within two years maximum, the property's gone up in value. You get all of that refinance, all of it, um, until you're paid off. I don't see a penny for maybe three or four years down the line. But like I said, that to me is more, way more attractive than selling it to you for five grand and then me walking away from it. Do you know what I mean? I, I, I'm in it for the long game. I, I'm, I'm, I'm in it for the long game. So I would rather um, you put your money in. I do the work. You can also learn from me. That That's another benefit from, from the JV route is that you can be someone on my shoulder. Like I'm always having conversations with JVs, inviting them to my other HMO conversions as well. Um, so you, so not only are you 50-50 with me, um, and, and I'll back it as well if it goes tits up. I've got my assets. I've got money to back it up and, and support you if that was ever the case as well. So the security is going to be there. But um, above all, you, you, that, that's the investment side of it. But also from a learning perspective, it's absolutely fantastic because, like I said, I'm doing this every single day. Um, you're not in front of a computer or you're not learning from a spreadsheet or something like that. You're in the thick of it. And you see things that you won't see on a course, such as like politics, builder politics, um, solicitor documents, all, all of the rest, rest of it. There's, there's hundreds of things you, you, you don't know about um, until it crops up with property, um, which is which I think, so, which is, yeah, is, is really attractive and why it's done so well. So I'm actually uh, moving on to my fourth JV. I, I only started this like last back end of last year, I think November, December time. So it's, it's gone really well. Yeah, definitely. And, and, you know, a JV partner is, you know, like a partner, you know, there is a relationship there, especially involving money, and, you know, potentially big sums of money. So, because, you know, a lot of people want to JV, right? So a lot of people want to JV with people like you, because they have the cash, but they don't have the knowledge or the experience, or any of that stuff. So a lot of people randomly send DMs, hey, want a JV, bro? Hey, man, want a JV? Um, And, you know, I'll say I'll save my views on that for now. But how do you pick a JV partner? And does it take time? Yes. So I I do my due diligence. Um, obviously, with the first few, the first one um, I actually JV'd um, with someone I, I knew, um, and so that worked really well. So yeah, that was kind of a test there, but that that worked absolutely fine. And and he he loves the way I work because um, he's quite he he's worked very hands on on in his career. So he just wanted to put some money somewhere, know it's safe, but know it's growing. Um, and he's just said, look, I, I love what you do. Um, I'm quite happy just to give you the money. You know what you're doing. Just give me my return and let me know if there's any problems. And, and that's fine. And then at the other end of the spectrum, I met up with um, some two JVs. They're local to me. They wanted to get into the HMO game. And um, yeah, they, they were they were complete opposite to Victor, who... They want hands-on experience. They want to know the ins and outs. And I even said to them, look, I'm, I'm an open book, even to the point where if you want to learn how to run your own agency, I can expose you to that as well if, if you really want to. And, and they were like, yeah, definitely. So um, I try and look at what they want from it, um, how we work together. Um, obviously, if they've got the funds, that, that's obviously basic. Um, but now I, I think I'm becoming more and more picky because 
I think, okay, how can, because I'm getting JVs and I know it's a popular route, but now I'm thinking, okay, so what else could the JV bring to the table? So now I'm thinking maybe, and I've get, I'm getting a lot of like uh, people from the builders trades coming into me saying, look, I'm, I'm a local builder. I can do the renovation at cost price or, or stuff like that. So now I'm trying to think strategic, but at the moment I'm really happy with my um, free, free JVs um, because yeah, that, is working really well and any any deal that i get and i said this as part of the jv i will also i will always prioritize them first and if if they want it then great we'll go ahead if not then it goes to the net jv next jv and if none of them want it then it goes back onto the gram and then we're open for business so um so yeah it's, it's a, con- a constant flow but at the moment like i said i've, I've got a little pipeline of jv partners and I'm I'm really happy with how it's working. So I don't think anything will change as of yet. But if it does, then I've got Instagram as a backup. Hmm. And you mentioned the gram. How useful or how important to your success do you think Instagram or social media has been? M- massive. Like for the for the um, for the JV side, certainly it's been absolutely. Yeah, critical because every time I I say to someone like, oh, how did you meet me? It's like, well, how, how did we get in touch? Whatever. It's always, oh, I, I saw you on Instagram. I saw you on Instagram, or my friend said, oh, have a look at Instagram. W- with the exception of Victor, who who already knew me, but the the other two, yeah, it was Instagram. And uh, yeah, I've got a pipeline of of people, like you said, DMing me and stuff like that. But it's about just being, I suppose, being a bit polite, just saying, no, unfortunately. Um, I'm full up at the moment. Um, anything that I get, it will come on on the ground. Watch out for it, and it's, yeah, then we'll go from there. But um, with regards to the actual property side, again, I would say yeah, I would say social media, not so much um, Insta, but I'd say social media has been a massive, massive, massive factor because it's funny, Tedge, because when I go when I speak to letting agents, um, and they all, I mean, and if you're a letting agent, listen to this, you'll know full well that the bugbear of any letting agent is the cost of advertising on Rightmove and Zoopla. It costs the earth, absolute earth. Um, and something that I've done is I haven't advertised on Zoopla or Rightmove to, to let out my properties. And when I say that to them, well, there's two things I say to, to letting agents and, and I get the same reaction every time. One is, I only let out to students and they're like, Oh my God, how do you do it? I literally that they nearly fall and have a heart attack. And then I tell them how many properties that we've got, like we manage 90 and uh, we don't advertise on either Zoopla or Rightmove. And they're like, what, how do you let these out? So I was, at the end of the day, you've got to understand and you've got to listen to your demographics. So students, as you know, if you pulled over any student's hedge, they've, they've all got a smartphone. Like most people pretty much nowadays, but especially students, they've, they've all got a smartphone. On their smartphone, they are going to have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, all the rest of it, as you know. So rather than spending, say, £1,200 a month or £1,600 a month to advertise on Rightmove or Zoopla, which the, which the students probably don't know about anyway or have the app for on their phone anyway, I just go straight to social media, and that's the effectiveness of marketing on social media i think is because you can target your your specific demographic so for me it's students so that is a specific demographic so i get a lot of adverts as well as obviously mouth-to-mouth um marketing and and stuff and, and stuff like that 
um, sorry, well, yeah, uh, word of mouth marketing, um, which is great. Um, but yeah, I'd say social media has played a massive part specifically to the segment that I'm in anyway. Mm. And I think, you know, a lot of people are reluctant to get on social media for, for many different reasons. But I think the fact that one, it's, you know, allowed you to build your portfolio to, to JV with people to create income and assets for you for life and to create wealth. And of course, to help other people. Um, secondly, you can, you know, show people your journey, which you do and the ups and downs and things like that. But then it generates your clients or your customers or tenants, if you want to call them. So it, it does a lot for you, especially where other people say other agents are missing out on or other people are not getting JVs because maybe they're not using social media um, as effectively. So, you know, on your, and again, going back to the gram, you speak a lot about grafting or being a grafter on Instagram. What what mm. does that mean to you? So being a grafter is just, just basically putting in the hard work. Like if you're constantly striving um, to reach your goals every single day, you're doing something to, to go towards that. Then even if you don't reach it, you're going to, that you're going to get some sort of fulfillment or learning experience from it. So that's why I'm always say big up the grafters because I, th I think there's a lot of clout behind it. And I, I, a big shout out to everyone who messages me on a Saturday and a Sunday, who puts in the graft doing their projects. I absolutely love it. Um, but it's all about just go, yeah, putting put in the graft. Like you can sit back and wait for things to happen or you can go out and, and get it. And, and if you graft for it and go that extra 10%, extra 20%, whatever, you're going to get, you're going to get it sooner. So yeah, it's all about the graph for me. Like forget what I achieve, forget if I've made a million, two million, four million, whatever. I want to be known for the, the work ethic that I put in and, and the fulfillment that I've got from it. Not, yeah, obviously the higher the amount, it would be nice, but, but the message that I want to be known for is, is driving for it, getting up early, cracking on, no excuses and going out and earning it. Mm. And, you know, a lot of your pictures or maybe your Instagram stories, are you, you know, doing stuff physically? They're not you at a computer, you know, doing all that kind of, I don't know, property investor hands-off kind of stuff. You you seem quite hands-on. Now, some people say, oh, yeah, you know, I'll do whatever it takes for my business to make it work because it's, it's my business and my investors' funds. More, you know, I guess there may be the more, I don't know, current view is yeah i would do that but i want to outsource and kind of be as sort of hands-off as possible where do you sit on that spectrum and yeah what are your thoughts on that yeah i i i, I totally get that um but i mean even yourself Ted, i saw the other day that when you went down you you, you put in you, you were doing some painting i was doing masonry like ted's top coats my yeah. new company yeah <laughs> you're like you was enjoying it Tej. this is I'll, what i'm saying it's, it's I, I was enjoying it too but masonry yeah. painting is a lot easier than indoor painting so I've got quite a <laughs> it's a lot cooler yeah. sure. <laughs> um but yeah so um what was gonna say uh da, 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 I, forgot, I forgot what i was gonna say now where are you on the spectrum it's just imagining you painting it's <laughs> topic. yeah so me in the spectrum so i would say i'm obviously more hands-on um the reason why is because if you the thing with property right you can say to someone get to a to b right and the thing is they will go around the houses and they won't usually take the route that you would take and the same thing is with property if you say look design me a house four on suites but unless you've got it down to an absolute t um which which you can do don't get me wrong but most builders either a won't read it 
they interpret it the wrong way and, and do their own thing anyway. So the thing I like to do is I like to keep things local. I'm a little, I'd say, not obsessive, but I, I would always be on site just to oversee everything. And there's been a few times where I've stopped absolute, um, like, absolute nightmares that are from happening from 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 like built in wardrobes uh being built in the wrong place to en suites being put in the wrong spot to electrics being put on the wrong so all those little things kind of mess with your design and ultimately mess with the tenant's experience which will end up costing you in the long run so it's all those little little things that i like to be in front of and and the good thing is that the builders that you work with you want to try and keep them sweet. And I, I don't go in there like Hitler going, oh, you've done this wrong. Da, da, da. I try and just explain it. Say, look, because I'm targeting high end, I need this this specifically here. And gradually they become more aware of your spec, more aware how you think. That's what I found anyway. And that's that, that's a that's a good point. But but yeah, on your spectrum, I'd say I'm, I'm, I'm very much hands on. Yeah, in an ideal world, it'd be absolutely brilliant just to pass on everything to someone. But ultimately, they're never going to do it as good as you. And I think, do you know what? The reason why I'm successful in this market in Medway is because my competitors did exactly that. They sat back. They thought they had this this area locked down and cracked out. And they allowed me, a young, what, 21, 22-year-old, to creep in, see the opportunity, see where they're slacking, see, see where their weaknesses were. And just absolutely land grab. Um, and now I've, I've, I've become, like I said, the, the largest HMO provider in this area. So, so yeah, be very, very careful when, um, when being completely hands off, because if you are, those kind of things happen. Totally agree. And then like, you know, if, if I invested locally, I, you know, I, I still wouldn't do necessarily some of the trades myself, but sometimes there's little things where you walk on site and you're just like, oh, God, say, I, I would do them, you know, and I would, like you said, be on site ensuring things are happening correctly and you know what you said about builders again great point i've learned the hard way not to be like that and to just oh you know what say things like you know what i expect so much more from you because you're so passionate and your level is is so high is this really your level of work really i'm thinking fuck's <laughs> sake you moron <laughs> like but oh trust trust me Tej, behind the doors i'm i'm calling them every name under the sun yeah. <laughs> yeah. but you know to their face like, well the reason why i've got to move that is because it's not yeah not ideal the reason why is because the finish i want so can you move it yeah so it, yeah. it's an interesting way to deal with people like I, I guess it's normal isn't it you've always got a kind of you know, it's like the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. You have to just be persuasive, right? You can't sort of kick the door down as much as some doors need kicking down. Um, you do student HMOs, right? Uh, students. I mean, when I think of students, I think of dirty, uh, messy, um, haven't got jobs, you know, don't pass referencing, blah, blah, blah. What do you, you know, why do you do student HMOs? Good question, Ted. So um, I've got seven points of why I do um, student HMOs. And, and it's mainly because of the it's, it's less risk than what you think. Like there's a lot of stigmas attached to student lets. Like number one is, like you said, they're, they're going to trash the place. Number two, they've got no respect. They're going to throw parties every night um, and piss off your neighbours and that's going to come back at you. But what I've tend to, I found is, that if your property and again this isn't like gospel there are going to be some people that do decide to throw a party and 
do have an accident or whatever in the property that that's a given that that's that's property that's, that's what happens but on the the majority if you provide a really nice house high spec um and they they know that and they they will respect it because ultimately um and i'll talk about this in my seven steps um the guarantor who we get they're going to be paying for it which is usually nine times out of ten their, their mum, dad or, or a family member so they're thinking, well, I don't really want to trash this house because it is brand new. It looks expensive. If I cause any damage, that's going to be expensive and that's going to eat into my deposit. And then ultimately my guarantor is going to get it in the neck. So, and that's what we drill into them from, from the dot. And as well, it's all about the prep work as well. I think up and up until the point of checking, because if, if you're, if you're a landlord that lives like miles away, they, they can never get hold of you. If, um, yeah. If, if that and if they know that then they kind of think well i can probably get away with a little bit more but like i said our agency specific to medway we're only ever a two minute drive from any house that's how close we are so we can really um yeah we can keep an eye on things so um so yeah those seven points reasons why is um the main one i think is student loans so as you know Every student has a student loan. Well, the majority of students have a student loan and that is backed by the government. Um, and you can't get a better guarantor than that. Um, and that's usually paid as well um, termly. So that's what we try and bake into our tenancy so that they, they are paid every three to four months, which again, improves cash flow and, in, and, um, in, and there's less risk uh, of any non-payment. Um, the next one is the tenancy. That we put them on so we because they're students um, and they're a group of friends they usually come to us already in that group which is absolutely fantastic um, because it's less work for you um, and yeah we put them on a joint tenancy agreement and that again is just extra security because if one person drops out then the others share that burden because they are on a joint tenancy agreement um, so yeah that again just reduces risk for a landlord because ultimately um, every landlord's worst risk is or, or biggest fear is that, that that the tenants don't pay rent and yeah the house then becomes a liability and um, the next point is the UK guarantors so as I said because students usually fail credit reference checks and stuff like that because they've never had any line of credit or they haven't had any income in terms of a full-time job they're going to fail those references so what they need is someone um i.e. Uh, their mum, dad, who either is full-time working or, or has savings to be their guarantor, to guarantee them in the event that they don't um, that they don't go through with it. So from that point, from my point, going back to point one, they've kind of got that income coming in. So there's not really any excuse. It's not like they're going to lose their job, do you know what I mean, and, and, and not pay. They're getting their government grants. So the, the government's not going to go bankrupt anytime soon. So um, so we're pretty good there. So so this just acts as an extra blanket, if you like, of um, of extra security. The next point is the, the degree. Um, the power of the degree is such a powerful ideology because that is the reason why people come to the university is in order to get a good degree so that they can fall into a good job so as long as that's still the ideology then um, we're still going to get a flow of um, tenants and uh, a flow of students which is ultimately um, you know why they come to the uni then the next point which again I, I really like um, and it's about the the low risk is the eviction rate so the eviction rate from our point of view is zero. We've never, ever, ever had to evict a student. Out of how many students and years? 
God, I'd say probably over a thousand, well over a thousand students. We've never evicted one. So a thousand human beings you have had managed in your own or with your agency and you and none of them have ever had to be evicted? Not one, Tej, not one. And this is why I'm really, really <laughs> keen to know what the what they are in the, across the UK. Because I can tell you now that they'll be absolutely minuscule. Because if you think about it, it kind of adds up because students come to an area based on that university. They don't really know that many people in the area. So they, and, and, and anyone that is, is living in the area doesn't go into accommodation. Do you know what I mean? So, so you've got these people fluctuating to an area because of the university. Then once they get their degree, they usually go out or they might stay in the area. You don't know, but at that point in their lives, they're not interested in, in just loining about or being a low life and just staying in this house rent free because they've got bolder and bigger ambitions in life to go traveling or to get a job and to earn money and to go out and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? Um, whereas other segments, their mindset's slightly different and that's why the eviction rate is, is very weak. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's why I like it. So, the next one is, and a big, big one, um, is no council tax, which ultimately means your net profit is more. Um, and that's especially compared to like the, your professional HMOs, where some boroughs are making the landlords pay per room um, as opposed to dwelling. Um, and, and I remember quite distinctly, I was in one of the local um, council meetings where this got brought up. One of, one of the people said, oh, so what have, we've heard up north that... Um, the council is, is charging per room as opposed to, to dwelling. Is this something Medway's going to do? And the short answer was yes, but it's not going to be soon. And there was shouting, everyone was in an uproar, Tej. But I was sitting back going, bring it on, because it doesn't affect <laughs> me. Literally, I was the only person in the room just like really chilled out going, what's the big deal? Like, it doesn't affect me because my tenants are all exempt. So that's when the bulb really lit up. And I thought, well, that's that's going to make my my business more valuable and it's also um, going to make student um, student lettings more more attractive because ultimately it, yeah it's and that can take a right sting out of your profit if you've got like a six to ten bed HMO and all of a sudden you've got to pay a thousand pound a month from council tax it's like ouch that, that, that that's what you're really going to feel that um, and then yes a big ouch and then the next one is timing so the good thing I like about student lets is that it's very specific um, and it goes parallel with the university courses. Um, so yeah, everything needs to be ready by September. So then, yeah, you've got like this window of where you wanna buy, where you wanna renovate um, and where you wanna get everything staged for marketing, et cetera, et cetera. So, so yeah, that, that really helps out. Whereas in, in comparison to like professional HMOs where it's very ad hoc, you get people come in and go in individual rooms, um, and so, yeah, with, with students, it's a lot more um, structured, which is which is what I like and why I've gone all in on the student let go. Wow. I mean, that's a pretty extensive list um, with so many kind of positives, I suppose. And, um, you know, when it comes to students, I think a question that everyone's going to be thinking and, it, and they're all going to want me to ask is, what about purpose-built student accommodation, all the towers, all the halls, ah. all the money? Tell me, yeah. are you scared? Are they coming for you? What's happening? No, I'm, I'm, I'm not scared um, in terms of why purpose-built are 
the issue. Um, that shouldn't be the issue because landlords are comparing apples to pears. Like the reason why I'm in business, Ted, the reason why I've grown my agency to 90 HMOs is because the students do not like living in halls. The, the, the truth of the matter be told, every, I listen to my um, tenants and when they say, oh, we can't wait to get out of halls, I'm like, why? And they're like, the fire alarms go off every night. We're being charged for our washing and drying as well as paying like extortionate rent. And I'm, I'm saying extortionate rent when they can come across the road, come in one of my houses, literally across the road um, and save themselves two and a half grand a year. They move in with people that they know and they trust. So their experience is a lot better and more intimate and now more safer because tr trying to control a bubble of four to five people is a lot easier than trying to control a COVID bubble of 250 people under one roof, which is why you're seeing spikes left, right and centre across the country. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm not scared at all about purpose-built halls. I mean, yeah, at the, the more that come to market, um, the more fancy, the more... Um, shiny bits that, that they'll, they'll include but then they'll, there's going to be more cost to that and students I think are quite cost savvy because like I said when we market them and when we re when they realize we're here the, the comments that we've had is oh I wish I knew you were here before because I would have I would have happily moved in so that that's my kind of mission is is marketing to the students to say look we are the alternative and it's similar to like the hotel and Airbnb um, trade-off hotels were really expensive then along came airbnb which was the alternative and that look how that's blown up so i think people do like the alternative and yes tenants will be drawn to halls there'll be obviously a certain amount of people that do that but there'll also be tenants that um are drawn to um what we offer and that and that's high-end student hmos but the key is and I, I say the key is when we ask tenants why they preferred us as an agency to a private landlord because we've also got private landlords doing what we do on a on a smaller scale they were like well the thing is you're a business you're established and this is the parents as well they say this that we, we'd rather you because you're across all your legislation you have to be you're regulated whereas a landlord if you get a crap experience if they don't fix the the boiler for six months for example then they can hide behind their property. Do you know what I mean? You can't name and shame them because there's no register or portal for that. Whereas an agency, we're, we've got a government, um, government body that if we do anything wrong, you can report us to them. They can then do, do an internal investigation and they can even shut us down if we're that bad. So that's why I think we are the sweet spot in terms of student accommodation, because we've got the service down to a T, we've got the price point down to a T, we've got the experience down to a T. Um, so yeah, that, that's 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 my um, two pence on, yeah, forget the halls. Oh, yeah, there, there's always gonna be a market for them, but um, as long as your house is good, as long as you've got the right service, you're, you're gonna win. Yeah, I agreed. In, in any business, you solve the problem better than someone else, you solve a bigger problem, you do it for a different market, You're you're always going to win. And so right now it is September 2020. Where does your per, like your personal portfolio stand right now? And then where and how many properties do you manage under your agency? Yes. So as 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 of right now today, um, my property portfolio is 18 properties. I was meant to complete on property number 19 today. However, because I'm a I'm a leaseholder now because um 
I own the lease because you know the four bed I was telling you about in the example of, of the best investment. Um, I got offered the the one flat below it, so I now ho own both flats in the building. And uh, no one picked up on this, even the solicitor, until today. And he was like, "Oh, the lender's asking for the lease insurance," and I was like, oh, "Okay." So I've I've had to get that done, but that's now been sent. I'm like, for God's sake! But it's like I said, the reason why I'm called Property Apprentice because you're always learning. I, I, this is the first time I've ever been a leaseholder. Um, but it's just one of those things. So, so yeah, as of um, tomorrow, I guess I'll, I'll be the owner of 19 um, properties. Um, yes, 19 properties. And how many do you manage with your agency? So the agency manages 90. We've got 90 on the books, although we've got 84 um, currently occupied. So we've got six that are empty at the moment, but they're still under management just because we're, yeah, we're, we're waiting for some, um, some late stragglers to come in. But uh, but yeah, that that's where we're at. And how many roughly? How many tenants is that? That is three three hundred and five. Exactly. That's a lot of humans. Um, lot of humans. What are your three top tips for managing an HMO? I guess more aimed at maybe people who aren't going to set up an agency, but are maybe managing their own ones. Um, what are your three top tips for managing HMOs? So three top tips for managing HMOs. You ideally need to be or you need someone local to that house, because if they find that you're miles away, um, then they're, they're going to yeah run ragged and it's going to be sloppy. And when when things are sloppy, then then your house deteriorates, then you stop people um, or potential people moving in and, and you yeah it, it slowly loses its shine. You need someone there to, to make sure that everything's running smoothly. So my number one tip for any landlord, HMO landlord out there that's looking to self-manage is make sure that you're, you're local or you have someone local to react quickly to, because um, that's what property is, Ted, isn't it? It's, it's reaction. Um, as, as much as it's, pro, it's good to be proactive, a lot of it's reaction, a lot of it. Uh, and then number two is do regular inspections. Um, so if you don't, if you don't live near, then I'll say the next best thing is do regular inspections. That's mainly because you have to, um, if you ever, if you ever read your, um, HMO insurance, they'll say you need to do regular checks, um, to stop like drug use or brothel use and all the rest of it. It's, it's all in there. Um, so, and then that basically you're able to pick up on where your property is going, whether you've got good tenants, whether they look after it, um, whether you need to like keep a more closer eye on it. So that'd be number two. Um, and then number three is make sure you're, you're quick to do maintenance work. Don't dwell on it. Don't sit on it. Don't say, oh, I'll do it tomorrow or the next day, because that doesn't set a really good example to your uh, tenants. And if they are good tenants and you want to keep them, they want you acting on it. Um, they want you on it because if, if they don't, they'll just go to another HMO who, with someone who is. It's that simple. Mm, that makes sense. And you know, all this grafting, all this hustling, all this hard work, what is, you know, what's in the pipeline for you over the next kind of couple of years? What's the goal? So the goal is I want 50 houses by the time I'm 50. So I'm, I'm 32 now and I've got 19. So I've got a, a long way to go, but I think I'll, I'll do it. And then once I'm there, the plan is to edge. Literally, I'm just going to sell the lot and sail into the sunset. That's the plan so far. Um, that's it. So obviously by that time, I'll have a family, hopefully. Um, and I'll just, yeah, I'll sell the lot, 
take the take a break and then focus on on something um at a time so that's the goal get to 50 houses and, and go from there hmm. and if you could have dinner with any two people dead or alive who would it be oh wow that's that's a good one um i would have to say i would i'll probably say steve jobs so i think the man's an absolute legend and, and i and a lot of what he does i just connect with like i watch the film i've read his books i absolutely love it um and then the second dinner they would probably be with Lucy Alexander from Homes Under the Hammer and say, ah, I told you so. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you've used one of your two cards to tell her that. I love it. I'd be quite smug, to be honest. I'd, 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 I'd enjoy doing that. Um, <laughs> and I guess finally, what are the biggest three mistakes that you've made in property so far? Oh, yeah. So the, I said the biggest one, is um i probably should have left my career sooner because it got to a point where i was juggling both the property stuff and my career uh, like the job and I, I was useless because i grew it to such a point i think i had 25 houses and i was doing i was trying to do my my nine to five day to day and then i it would be about 12 o'clock midday i'd look at my phone and there'd be like 50 missed calls. And that would be from like new tenants, current tenants, new landlords, current landlords, all our tradesmen, all trying to get through to me. But I couldn't do anything because obviously I'm at work. Like I'm being paid to be here, to be in, in the moment and do work. So I was like, oh, my God. And, and obviously that led to me working extra hours, causing more stress, um, working weekends. So and I was comfy at that point. And I, and I mentioned this on the HMO day, I, I was more than enough. I was earning more money from property at that point than I was for my day to day. But like I said, it, it was about me not me um, not letting people down because I, I'd worked hard to get into that company. I loved that company. But this 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 property beast just took over. So it was probably me. The second my biggest mistake was me being real with myself, just saying, look, this is too much. I need to something's got to give. And in the end. That, that's the conversation I had, but I think it was a bit too late because I, I was yeah stressing out. And I think my performance at work was yeah being deteriorate, like deteriorating and naturally it would do when you're trying to run a business around work, it, it's tough. So yeah, that was probably my number one mistake was I, I should have um, acted quicker. And then that way as well, I, I could have focused more time and effort because once I was out of my work, once I, I left my job, the next thing was like, bloody, hell, I should have done this quicker because the acceleration, once you put all your heart and soul into it, you just see it's like a, a really steep curve of progress, of achievement, of fulfillment. It's, it's fantastic. And so, yeah, I should have left the job sooner, started the property full time sooner. And that was the biggest mistake. Um, then the second mistake is just doing due diligence on a few tradesmen. And um, there's there's electricians which I've I've employed too expensive crap at their job. I thought I'd give them the benefit of the doubt. They kept letting me down. I should have just sacked them off day one, but I gave them the benefit of the doubt. Um, and now I've got a fantastic team around me because yeah, because of that. It's, it's like you said, Ted. Um, was it higher, 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 slowly, fire fast. 
fast. That's it. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I, well, I forgot which way it was round, but yeah, um, really, yeah, exactly that. So I would, I'd say that was my second one, and then the last one is um, just don't spend your money on crap um, because ultimately, in the property game, you need money um, to make money. Lenders love seeing you earn. Um, and with and, and with low going out, like low low things going out, so it's a numbers game. And so I, I'd say the biggest mistake is just spending. Another big mistake is, is spending money on crap, like flash cars and stuff like that, because that will just slow you down. Ultimately, if you if you've got a goal of getting to fifty houses, you you look at the things that are slowing you down, and it's the liabilities and stuff like that. Don't get me wrong; you should splash out, reward yourself. That's fine. But when you've got a north star and you're going for it, and there's no excuses, then yeah, just be disciplined and don't spend your money on crap. I agree. And I think what you said there about lenders liking that, that that's an important point. I found when I was growing, I wasn't spending money on crap, but because I was doing it so quickly, you know, the portfolio was negatively cash flowing for quite a while, which is fine. You, know, you, you accept that. And that's cool with us as investors. But when lenders see that, some of them run a mile because they don't understand. They just don't understand, well, life or business, some of them. But others kind of just like mm, we don't really like that it's not protecting our investment enough and some are cool with it but you want as many lenders open to you as possible especially if it's your first hmo or your first few ones and maybe your lender pool is more limited so as much as we want to go quickly just remember as well as not spending money on crap you know going quickly can negatively affect your mortgage ability uh so craig thank you so much for coming on the podcast uh if people want to get hold of you what's the best way to do it best way is definitely instagram um my my handle is property apprentice and um yeah please drop me a dm um i'd love to hear from you i'd love to see your journey um so yeah that, that would be the best way linkedin as well and if you're local to medway yeah, give me a call and uh, we can go for coffee, talk investments, talk JVs, um, talk, talk all, ice, all kinds of things. If you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.